and you'll hear me. <laughs> when Jesus came to the, re- the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. God, I just pray, Lord, that you just uh, speak to our hearts this morning through your word, Lord. Um, Again, not that we would just uh, gain more information, Lord, but the idea is to have that uh, take root in our hearts. Allow you, Holy Spirit, to uh, breathe life on that and to teach us and instruct us so it leads to transformation. And so I just pray, Father, I just uh, thank you, Lord, how you you just choose people, Lord, people that um, are available. And uh, I pray, Father, that we would be available in every sense of the word, available to however you want to spend us, however you want to use us, Lord, um, anything for your name and for your glory. Spend us as you see fit, Father. I just pray that we would be available, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are, okay, we are going to turn a little, so we've been studying through uh, 1 Timothy for a little while, and so what we're going to do is we're actually going to fast forward a little bit in the New Testament, and we're going to dive into the book of 1 Peter. And that's not going to happen this morning. What's going to happen this morning is, I want to give you a backdrop before we actually just read a book. It's always really helpful before you read a book in the Bible to figure out who the heck is writing it. Who is this person? Why am I reading it? How did it get here? And why are they saying these things? It's important to ask those things when you study your Bible. Because context is everything. Can you imagine if somebody tried to get a story about your life? Your life and they didn't have the context, it'd be, they'd be shortchanged for sure. If somebody was just like, well, you know, they just summarize you by your job title. Whatever your current job title is, and if that's unemployed, boy, that's really sad, right? Then you're just summarized as that. Or if you're in a season of life right now where you are struggling, then you're just summarized by that. Or if you're riding high right now, everyone's like, yeah, we can stop now. Right? But every person, right, they have a story. And it's a huge mistake to look around the room and be around people, right, to notice and see what's happening in each person's life and make an immediate judgment call on who they are as a person and where they're going to go in life. None of us likes that to have that be done to them. Right? 
And we could easily do it, you know, just based on what people are wearing, just the way that they talk, the type of music that they listen to, type of crowds that they hang around with. But context is everything when it comes to a person. That's why I love hearing people's stories, just about who they are, you know, where they came from, what's going on with them. Um, That's why there's so much value in hanging around with, I'm not going to say the term with the O, and it rhymes with, I don't know what it rhymes with, but (laughs) more seasoned people, I was going to say older, but I just said it, more seasoned people in life that have more years, that works, I was like, yeah. More seasoned people, there's a depth of story there that younger people don't have. And that counts for something. They might be all wrong. They might just rattle off a whole 50 whatever years of mistakes. It's worthwhile still to listen and try and hear the heart behind that and maybe why they made all those mistakes over and over and over again. It's also worthwhile to try and hear you know, some older people that have been a lot of places and seen a lot of different things. So to learn the story on people's lives is actually a really important, a really Christian, a really God thing. Can you imagine if, if a lot of people actually bought into that so much I don't know how much discrimination there would be. I don't know how much uh, people would just be so quick to make a call in somebody's life. I don't know if people would just quit on one another. It's like, ah, they're a lost cause. They've been screwed up. They always will be. Maybe you've had that done to yourself. Or you've said that about other people. Or maybe you've done it to yourself. And what I'm trying to bring to your attention, just get you to think about a little bit, is that each person has a story for sure It's worth all the time, effort, and energy to try and figure out what that story is on people's lives. Because guess what? If we call ourselves a Christian, the way that we love people really well is not just by doing nice things for them. The way that we love people really well is we listen and we get involved and we try and get an idea of what's going on in somebody's life. And then what we do is we... Um, highlight the parts and the pieces where God can come in, where He can move, or maybe He's already moving, and He's already at work, and we're highlighting, drawing attention to the fact, well, maybe all this stuff is happening, but look at this God, this good God. He's formed these things up. He's put these things there. He can do this over here. If you were just to give over there, He's going to just overflow over here. That's called loving people well. And sometimes we take loving people well just to mean, well, you know, I'm nice to you. I smile. Uh, I do some nice things for you. And I'm not saying that those are bad. What I am saying is that there's a next level. Everybody say next level. There's next level. And that next level is able to identify and highlight the good heart of God and where he can come into a life and just bless and love and encourage and overwhelm. Don't you want to be at that place? Wouldn't you like to be known as a person who could just come around other people and other situations and immediately be able to highlight what the Spirit is doing and where He's moving and bring hope to a situation? Well, like one person shook the head of them, and it was my wife, so that's cool. So Julie's on with me. Saw him shake his head. That's good. So we got two. Like, I promise you, if we're not walking through life like that, I'm not exactly sure what we're doing as a Christian. I, I don't... What are we doing? 
We're trying just to tolerate everybody. I can promise you that's not the gospel. Trying just not to fight, that's not the gospel. What we're trying to do, right, is have an understanding and an awareness of the goodness of God. We're just saying, good, good father. An awareness of a good father who has an amazing heart, who's able to do the impossible, not just in my life, but in everybody's life. And have our lives just scream that from every aspect. Based on who we're friends with, who we date, where we work, it should be evident everywhere. And it might cause division in certain places. I mean, certainly Jesus, everywhere he went, he kind of caused some problems. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. You've automatically just drew a line in the sand. And that was intentional. But the line that he drew was not to be mean to everybody. Maybe that doesn't fall on the side of salvation. The idea is still to be captured by that forgiveness that we have received and give that out to everyone, whether they receive it or they don't. And the reason why I share that stuff with you is because 1 Peter, written by... Hey, all right. You guys are good. Written by Peter, has a tremendous story. And I think it would really be a mistake. I really felt like it would be a mistake if we just dove in, read some pieces of 1 Peter, talked about some stuff, which would be good stuff. But maybe we should kind of look at the story of his life just a little bit. We can't get to every little detail this morning, but there's a couple of highlights that I wanted to draw your attention to. So that's why in your bulletin, you have three passages there. You see that? Some people are just looking now for the first time. Wait, the Bible passages are in the bulletin? Yes, they are. Right? So, and, and, and guess what? Also in the bulletin is what we're going to read next week. There is a method. Just trust and believe. So, right, you got a passage there from Matthew. Right, we got a passage there from Luke. Yep, and we got a passage there from... Who, say, who thinks we can't get all this in there? I say we can. We can do it. Say we can do it. We can do it. Matthew 16, verse 13. Let's look at some of what Joanna read here. <clears throat> here's the deal. When you talk about Peter, here's what everybody thinks about Peter. At least not everybody, but a lot of people. First Pope, he's the man at the pearly gates. And that's about all that people know about Peter. Some might know a little bit more. Um, fisherman. And uh, kind of the guy that always would put his foot in his mouth. He was impulsive. Right? He was impulsive. But he, he's the guy that got out of the boat. He did get out, so that's pretty good. I don't know how many people would actually get out of the boat and be like, hey, let me walk with you on water. They're like, all right. He did, but then he, you know, a lot of people also remember that, you know, he saw the waves and he started to doubt and he started to sink, right? And Jesus had to come get him, right? Jesus, he had 12, 12 that were close in his circle, call them apostles. 12 just close ones. He had lots of disciples. And um, those apostles are also disciples. Disciples just means followers. Apostles just means sent out ones. Look in Greek, it just means sent out. There's significant, it was a significant title back then because, 
you know, those 12 apostles, those are the ones that just walked with Jesus closely. They considered themselves to be the original 12 true apostles. And actually, when Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, he was actually one of them. And man, if you just think about that just for a little bit. God brought somebody into his inner circle, part of the 12, that he knew was going to betray and make the wrong moves. And evil would still be in that person. And God said, you know what? That's fine. I'll still make it so my plan works and glory gets brought to who I am. So just when you think you made so many mistakes, God can't work with that. Yeah, just think about how he even uses the evil in Judas that was done wrong. So they have these 12... I mean, they're looking to uh, pick for Judas' spot. They said, hey, listen, we need somebody else to fill a spot as an apostle. The requirement was they had to walk with Jesus. They had to meet him, talk with him, right, and just be part of his ministry. And that's how they chose, right, the 12th one. Peter was significant because not only was he a disciple, not only was he also one of the 12 who was an apostle, he was also one of the three that was part of the inner circle. So you have three that was kind of like in this little inner circle. Peter, James, and John. All fishermen. I think it's hilarious, you know, that we're going to build this church. We're going to take over the world and be told for generations with fishermen. That's awesome. That's the game plan. So you got these three, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. Peter had a brother, Andrew, who was also one of the twelve, but for whatever reason, he wasn't part of, like, the three there. What was Jesus thinking? You bring one brother in, but you kind of, like, don't want the other brother? Like, how does that work? I don't know, but it did, and that's what Jesus did. There's just some things that he sees in people, and he just puts in certain places, and guess what? That's just what he's doing. So when we pray things like, Lord, spend me as you see fit. Put me wherever. Guess what? That might mean we just get in a certain place and somebody else is in another place and they get promoted, seen, and they look amazing. And we might be in a place where it's like, yeah, so about that. (laughs) So you have these three, Peter, James, John. Peter, we're just going to highlight a couple of things from his life that was very interesting. I wanted to highlight a really high point for him. I wanted to highlight a really low point, and I wanted to highlight a restoration point. Because it's all part of his story, and it's all part of our story. You're going to have some high points, some, really, some things in your life that you celebrate, you're excited about, that you're glad you had happen, where you even made good moves, and you're like, yeah, I got this. I got it. I got it figured out finally. And then just when you thought that, You're going to do something epically more stupid than everything you've ever done to show you you don't know Jack. That's the truth. And we've like lived it. I'm not even that old yet, and I understand that. And it kind of scares me a little bit too, because just when I feel like I got something, it's like, I don't have it. I don't. I don't. And that's one of the stories on Peter's life. He's like this guy who, he was really good at overestimating himself and where he was at. He overestimated. He thought he could handle more. He was ready for more. He really believed it. And he had good intentions. 
And Jesus never berated him for that. He never insulted him for that. It was good to have ambition. But Jesus wants our ambition matched up with our maturity. Because our calling will take us somewhere, but our character is going to keep us there. Especially if you're going to be a leader and an influencer. And too many people just want to rush into their calling and not let the time happen so the character gets developed so that way you can stay there. So you can handle praise, so you can handle no praise. So you can handle being seen, so you can handle being not seen. So you can handle being liked and handle being not liked. We can handle when they say good things about you or when they say bad things about you. Because you could be a rebel with the cause or right, we could be built on a maturity of character that understands who we are as a person, what God is doing, what His voice is like, and we just stay close to the Good Father and the Good Shepherd. And it was integral that Jesus would develop that within Peter because Peter was going to become a significant leader in the early church. The Pope. No, not really. Not the Pope. But I want to explain to you about how that's like how that happens. So we're going to dig in, okay? You with me? I feel like you're with me, so we're good. All right. Verse 13, here we go. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Interesting. Jesus just gives him like a little feeler. What's everybody saying about me? What's the polls say? Let's take a poll, let's take a survey. What are they saying about me right now? And it's interesting the feedback that he gets. I'm like, well, you know, some people are saying John the Baptist, they're saying Elijah. Honestly, people are sort of, I don't know, they're split with you, Jesus. I, you know. I love the follow-up question, because this is the one that truly matters. It doesn't matter what the polls say. It doesn't matter what the surveys show. It doesn't matter what the popular opinions might think. What matters for you and for me at the end of the day is, who do I say that Jesus is? That's always the core issue, is this personal element. Because a significant, deep gospel is that we're going to stand before God Himself and be accountable for what we decided when we decided upon Jesus. Did I receive Him? Did I accept Him and give my life over to Him? Who do you say I am? Right? Never changed. Peter, remember I said we're trying to get as good, as high, as lows, right? Look at this answer. Verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Nailed it. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And honestly, like that's what happens. That, that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people to make that decision about who Jesus is, not based on what everybody else said, 
but based upon what God has spoken to their hearts. Because only somebody who's been in relationship with God can say, Jesus, God, he's alive and active and he's amazing. Only someone who's actually in relationship and close to his heart and walking in fellowship with him knows that God is not dead, that he's not dry, that he's not dull, that he's not able. That stuff is debatable all day long. Argue with whoever you want. The one that's walking closely with the Lord and in fellowship has a personal relationship in history knowing that, man, as much as I've surrendered, God has overflowed even more. So Peter's able to say that because he's like, I've done responding, I've done walking, I've already experienced it, I know. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. First time he gets a name change. Right before it was Simon. That was his name, was Simon. Now he gets this name change uh, to Peter. And you can see in your Bibles, there's probably a little footnote there. It's always good to pay attention to those in your Bible. They're there for a reason. Because they refer you back to other things in the Bible that match up with the passage, with the original language. So if you look at that little letter that's there in the footnotes... It probably refers you to some place on the page, either in the middle or on the side. And it says rock, right? A rock. He's changed his name to the rock. Somebody impulsive, kind of all over the place, saying, listen, man, because you're surrendering your life, giving yourself over to God himself, I'm going to completely rearrange you and complete a new person out of you. You're going to be known as the rock. What? That's wild. Wild. So God does. He takes people, completely transforms them, and has a new uh, destiny and value that was there the whole time, but now he can actually build into it when we surrender. He's calling him the rock. And the rock in the Old Testament, it's extremely significant. It has a, um, a lot of metaphorical value has a lot of imagery. Where God is referred to as the rock, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the rock. It's something that is stable, firm, secure. And I'll tell you what, if you want somebody leading your church, that's who you want. They can't be swayed by the polls. They can't be swayed by the recent turn of events that might happen. You need someone who's a rock in there. Parents, do you hear that? Aunties and uncles, do you hear that? You'd need rocks and families. And when I say rock, that doesn't mean you don't show emotion. I've got to be strong for them. Come on. The Bible's full of strong people who weeped and who cried. Like a rock means, man, you stay committed. You know where your foundation is. You gather everyone around you to not budge and to not give on that. You draw the line. And you say, this is who we believe in. This is who God is. I don't know about right now, but I remember from before. And we're not budging here. It's powerful, right? Rock. Powerful. And I tell you that Peter, right? So Simon being called now Peter the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. 
Wow, what a statement. First time in the Bible that this word church, ecclesia, is used. We just spent all of 1 Timothy talking about the church and people within the church and how to manage this thing called the church. First time that term was used is right here. As he's talking to Peter, name change, then you get the church bomb. Ecclesia. And all it means is just the people that are called out. That's what that means. So he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. So here's why some people think, man, he's the first pope. There you go. A couple of things. Certainly the church, the early church. When you think of early church, you think of Acts. Everybody say Acts. It's the book of Acts. I mean, that's where the church started. Peter, he helped start it and build it. He was the mouthpiece for when the Holy Spirit came, tongues of fire came on people. They're talking in different languages. It's crazy. All from the Lord, all planned out. Jesus promised it, said it was going to happen. Peter interpreted it, gathered people around like a rock, stayed on it. Say, hey, listen, don't freak out. It's what Jesus said. We're right on mission. We're on it. So he said, he definitely, the church is being built on who he is. No doubt about it. And I'll guess you what? I'll tell you what. The church was also built upon this rock, Peter, his confession of faith. That's what the church is built on, is a strong confession and proclamation that won't budge on who Jesus Christ is and who God is. And it's interesting that Jesus said, I will build my church on this. I'm going to build it. It's my bride. We don't own C.C. Noggy. We didn't like put this thing together. We're not going to keep it going. We're just going to fall in line with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Holy Spirit, move. And if you're going to shut it down tomorrow, then shut it down tomorrow. If you're going to give us 50 years, give us 50 years. Because guess what? We're not here to just support something we really want to have real bad. We want to move after it and go after what the Holy Spirit is doing. Does that make sense? And sometimes, that's, that's a reality. I remember talking to my pastor, you know, one time, in the New Testament, of all these churches, Ephesians and Ephesus, right, you got Galatia, it's like a whole region, Corinthians, right, you have all these churches, Philippi, Philippians. I remember telling my pastor, I'm like, listen, how good of a church could these have been? They're not there anymore. I remember thinking that, like, if God planted these churches and he put them there, why aren't they still here? You'd think they would be. You would think they would be if your brain was dysfunctional like mine, where you thought that, well, when God does things, He just does things one way and it just stays forever all the time. It's not how He does things. It has seasons. Churches come, churches go. And many times, congregations just aren't cool with that because they don't understand the heart of the Father behind it. If he's shutting doors, other ones are going to open. If he's closing down a work, he's already started 10 new ones. And the idea is not to be stuck in the past because it didn't look like what I liked and what was familiar. Well, Holy Spirit's saying, sorry. We're moving along here. And I'm bringing in a harvest. And it's going to rub on you a little bit, but this is what I'm doing. You with me on this? So is he the first pope? Do we have this idea that now Peter is the pope 
and now there's some sort of successive element that whoever lays hands on next, they become the new sort of uh, in charge of the church. I'll tell you this, I'll save you some reading, but still, read. That does, that's not a substitute for don't read. I'm just saying I'm saving you some reading. There's nothing you're going to find in New Testament about successive people after Peter laying it on the next person, whoever's going to be in charge next. You don't read that or see that anywhere. And so that's why it's, it's, it's kind of strange to get to that place. I kind of see where some people can get to that place. But biblically, it's really hard to make the case. Then he says this to them, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Everybody, where's your keys? Where's your keys at? Shake your keys. Shake your keys. Shake your keys. Right? Keys, right? Keys. What do keys do? They unlock things. Right? They unlock things. He's given Peter, right, some access to what the Spirit wants to do in the church, on the earth, and he's saying, hey, listen, I'm giving you the keys for that. And really, honestly, he's giving it to the church. I'm giving you keys to unlock what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Because if something is you can unlock, that means it was locked. That means that there's things on this earth that are bound together, that are spiritually just tied in a knot, that are obstructed, because there's demonic activity and forces at work, and they are significant. And so we need to understand and realize the only way you get past any of that, unlock anything, have any kind of breakthrough, is the living God. Through prayer, through fasting, through coming together, through faith. So he's given them the keys. Bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Because he didn't want Peter really telling everybody about that he was the Christ until after he rose from the dead. This whole bound on earth, bound in heaven, loose on earth, loose on heaven, it's really common within Jewish law. They lived a very strict life. So guess what? If you were to walk into church this morning and you didn't maybe have the right attire on, or do the right kind of ritualistic things when you got here, you'd be getting some dirty looks from some Jewish rabbis that aren't super forgiving. Unless they loosed you from that. And they said, you know what? You can wear that t-shirt in church this morning. You, You can do that. Or like Jesus, when he was walking through the field on the Sabbath, and they're taking grain, and they're rubbing it, and they're eating it. Pharisees came by and they said, hey, listen, you can't do that. You're working on the Sabbath. You're like making food for yourself and then eating it. You can't do that. That's, Jesus says, no, it's fine. He loosed them from that strict, sort of oppressive, um, kind of weighty law on their life. It's called loosing. And when Jesus does, his church, it comes in, right, and it looses things. And more of that is a sermon for another day. But, That's a high point for Peter. He did good. A great confession. And actually, if you read further, (laughs) it took like no time for him to mess up again. Jesus is like, 
he tells Jesus, he's like, you don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to do it this way. It doesn't have to go down like this. And Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. So listen, but, but he did good here. Kind of dropped the ball the next time. Here's what I want to tell you before we look at the next passage. I'm doing good on time. What I want to tell you is that a confession is not final. Everybody say confession is not final. It is not. You just can't just say it. How many, how many of you guys love being around people that just talk a good talk, but they can't walk the walk? Do as I say, but not as I do. Those are always the most fun people, right? Not. So, I'm glad he confessed and he said it. That means in the mind, hey, it's getting there. That's good, because some people just have it shut off right there. And that's a problem, right? So at least in his mind, he knows like kind of the way it should go down. But he's having a hard time carrying it out. So let's go to Luke 22. Luke 22, 54 through 62. A little less commentary on this one. It says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked close at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter said. Then verse 59, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he was a Galilean. Verse 60, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and whipped bitterly. Certainly, if there's a low moment in your life, it's the moment that you turn your back on who you promised your loyalty to. It's when there's failure. And it's obvious. And you said you'd never do it, but then you did it. I know none of you in here know nothing about that. But I can tell you that I definitely see myself in there where I overestimated who I thought I was and what I thought I could do. And then, man, it just crash. Just crash. And then usually you run away crying. You run away crying. Depression sets in. Anxiety comes in. Tons of shame just floods. And that is not a fun place to be. And some people only know that place in life when it comes to problems. And I'm so glad that the story of Peter didn't stop here. And I'm even more glad that it was in God's heart to make sure that the story for Peter didn't stop here. Because his heart just must have been so broken. Probably like, man, I thought I was so much further along. <clears throat> You're good at talking about it when everybody else like, around you kind of thinks the same, talks the same, looks the same. As soon as you get out, and it might cost you something, and you just shut right down. Three times in a row. 
And don't think for a minute that we would be any different. There's things in your life that you're like, you know what, I would never do that. I'll never say that. I'll never go there. You just did it to yourself. It might be a wise thing to say, you know what? That's an area of life I really hope I, I just I don't give into. I just hope I don't. I hope I don't. That's probably a wiser way to talk about things like that and to think about things like that. Because we watch people and we see how they fall and we see how they make mistakes. Like, man, I'll never do that. Man, just be careful on that one. Just be careful on that one. So here's what's nice. John 21. Take a look. 15 to 23. So up until this point, Peter ran away crying, feeling awful. He goes back to fishing. Jesus rose from the dead. And so you can just imagine kind of like what he's wrestling with. It just betrayed my rabbi, Messiah, you know, someone I just gave my whole life to, said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Did it three times. Here's the way Jesus approaches this. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, uh, Jesus said, and actually we're going to back up a little bit. Uh, go to verse Four, verse 4, sorry. 21 verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were un- unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that be John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I'm going to go further in a minute. I just like this picture because they're in the boat, they're fishing, all of a sudden they get an unusually large catch. And John's like, I know who does that. That's Jesus over there. And Peter, probably out there fishing with nothing on, and that's just what they were doing. So he's like, I can't go to naked Jesus. So, or I can't go to Jesus naked. Naked Jesus, don't talk about that. So, <laughs> that's wrong. So, he puts his stuff on, runs out there, and it doesn't say it. I'm creating this in my mind, so now I'm speculating. I'm speculating that he just runs up to him. Huge, and just cries, and just hugs him, and just, I I imagine it to be a powerful scene. Might not have gone down that way. Like I said, I'm speculating. Probably saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, just. But the interesting thing to me is that, here's what's interesting to me. Typically, when we get to a low place of anxiety-filled depression, where we want to isolate ourselves because we know we royally screwed up, and everybody knows about it. Most people would rather just stay hiding. I appreciate the fact that when he found out it was Jesus, he went running after him. Something about Jesus made Peter feel like, you know what? 
I can still go to him. I can still go to him. I should still go to him. He's not someone now I should avoid. He's someone that I should go after. Because that's a safe place. That's a refuge. He's going to help make it right. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? It's really important right, for us to grab that and know that. That we, whatever low state we might get in and what might happen, what, what might be brought into our lives, Jesus always, it's so incredibly important that Jesus never be the one that's also someone we run from. The hugest lie going is that he's going to condemn and fill with shame and just remind you about all the ways that you failed because he's so mad. He might not be thrilled about what you decided to do. And in one of the Gospels, it says that. He rebuked the disciples, man, for just not staying the course, for not praying with him in the garden, for not being faithful the way Jesus warned them. I mean, he, Jesus told them, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to go down. Do these things. And it's like, they weren't paying attention. Or I don't know what was happening. They totally dropped the ball. And Jesus doesn't come back and say, listen, you guys are horrible. I need a new 12. <laughs> but that's what we would do, right? That's what we would do. I need a new spouse. This is horrible. They stink. No hope. Right? Or my friends, they, they call themselves a Christian. They're acting like that. Forget it. They've been doing this for like two years. There's no hope for that. Right? We're quick to throw out and be done with and discard. And what I'm trying to show you and read to you is that from Jesus' vantage point, there's not much of that in his heart. He's looking to build towards restoration. And it's critically, critically important that we understand and realize that Jesus is always a safe place, always the best place. And healing is found there, perspective is found there, Freedom is found there. So he runs there. Jesus has breakfast ready. Pretty neat. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you caught. Verse 11. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It's full of fish. 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? More than what? The fish? The people? I don't know. doesn't really say which one. But do you love me more than these? That's really the issue, always. Is Jesus primary? Number one, greater than all things. Do I love my family more or do I love Jesus more? Right? That's really the issue. Because sometimes we miss Jesus by being too much into the gift of the family. Do you love these more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Notice, three times, right? You got three times he said no, three times he asked him. Three times, Jesus follows it up with an action word. Feed, take care of, feed, right? He says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, everybody say two words, follow me. me. Never changed from the very beginning. That's how we got Peter and his brother Andrew and all the other, well that's two, the other ten. Follow me. Always came down to that. Interesting, I like, Peter still Peter. I appreciate this, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was following them. So apparently they're having a conversation and he's going back and forth with this, do you love me, you know, what's going on? Apparently John's behind. says, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Like, what about John? Because Jesus had just told Peter, listen. Um, basically what he said is, I'm recommissioning you. You're not done because you failed. I'm picking you back up. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to equip you. And I'm saying, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Lead this thing. Now is your time. You've been through some seasons. You've been through some things. You're still going to go through some. But you're entering a place into a season right now where you're going to be entrusted. So I'm saying, be be faithful. And then Jesus says, he's going to be like, listen, for a long time, like you lived your life, you went where you wanted to go. Now you're going to another level of surrender. And what's going to happen is it's ultimately going to lead you to your death. And and so Peter goes, what about him? (laughs) Tell me I got to do all this stuff like, what about him? Does he get, get tell him how he's going to die? <laughs> Peter's still Peter. I like it, right? There's room to be you. It's okay. And Jesus doesn't like, you know, kill him for it. Here's what Jesus says. He said, if I want him to stay alive until I return, what is that to you? You got to follow me. He starts off with personal, he ends with personal. He starts off with Peter being personal, it ends with Peter being personal. Being faithful to the mission has to be with personal. Comparison sabotages our vantage point. Sabotages and distorts. It's so hard to just stay in our lane. And I feel like many times the Spirit has said that, Jared, stay in your lane. I was talking to the pastor this week. He was reminding me of the same thing. You know, he was sharing his honest heart. And he's just saying how, how he had struggled and continues to struggle just with jealousy of another pastor, another church. You know, he's just, he sees all these things happening in this person's particular church. And in his church, he feels like, hey, they're being totally faithful. And he's like, Jared, he's like, man, I am just. And then he went further into the story that the Lord had convicted his heart. They're at a pastor's meeting somewhere. And the Lord spoke to his heart and, and at the end of a session, this other pastor happened to be there. And the Spirit spoke to him and said, listen, you have to go apologize to him. And this guy was like, I am not doing that. We've never talked. I, don't, I just talked bad about him. I mean, I don't know him. 
I just slam him. I don't, you know. And I said, so what did you do? I said, did you do the right thing? He said, I did the right thing. He said, I went up to him. I, told, I asked him for uh, forgiveness. I said, you know, with, I said, man, I'm just jealous, like, what the Lord's doing. I want mine to look like yours. And he said, um, and I said, well, what did he say back? He said, uh, he said, man, he was totally humble, so nice. We talked for a while, prayed together. He said, he said, honestly, it's still not totally done in me. He said, that was a big part. He said, but there's still like, stuff in there. It's not done yet. And that's just the reality. That's like how we walk. That's how we are. The idea is not to have this front. We got it all together. We don't. Heaven responds to authenticity and transparency. Sooner we figure that out, the more moves we're going to make in a positive way and under power. So Peter, we're going to dive into next week what he writes. Right, we're going to dive into what he writes. So now you have a little bit of understanding of who this man is and where he's coming from and what things have been like for him. And what's interesting about 1 Peter is that that book, believe it or not, has come under some scrutiny about who actually authored it. I know it says 1 Peter, but it's, let me put it to you this way. It's written so well, and it's written with um, um, such an advanced way, with the language and ling- linguistically, that some Bible scholars are like, you know what? This definitely is not. It might say First Peter, but he didn't write it. He's not that good. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. This guy Beard did that. I forget his first name. And a couple other guys. Second Timothy, they all seem to agree because apparently it's not as good. So it's definitely Timothy's. But, that, again, listen, if that's your best argument, that somebody can't be as good as they normally are, that sucks. I said sucks in church. That, that's a horrible argument. Right? That stinks. That's a horrible argument. The whole idea is he takes really unqualified fishermen that aren't really great at anything, maybe except fishing, and he completely transforms individuals into things that be like, you know, how could they do this? How can they write like that? How can they talk like that? And in Acts, they said that when Peter got up and he spoke and he was around people, they said, he's untrained and unlearned. How, how, does, how is this? What happened? What happened is he was with Jesus. What happened is he surrendered. What happened is he allowed Jesus to take him through the highs, all the way through the lows, then back up, and then back. But he never gave up on that. And he stayed close. Right? He stayed close. And, and that's something that I hope ministers to your heart. Because the calling on all of our lives is to completely retransform, reprogram to honestly, some people maybe that we haven't seen in a long time and maybe we just revisit and they see again. We don't come around them and say, oh man, I hope you notice all these cool new things about me. Look at me. Look at all this new stuff. Look what I can do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go looking for it. Don't go fishing. Just be natural. Be who you are. Let this stuff just play out. Just let it play out. If you're so different and so changed, trust me, it'll be obvious. Without you trying to have to fake it, tell everybody on Facebook about it, just let it go. Are you with me on this? There's a supernatural work that the Spirit is doing and transforming in our lives. Let's stay close to His heart and let Him play it out. Who knows what you might be writing or saying later on. 
No way, that didn't come from them. You're right, it came from the Holy Spirit. All right, let's hold on to these elements. We're going to take this together. Thanks, Rob. He's on it. Hey, thanks, babe. So I'm going to pray as they're passing this stuff out. It's okay if you're looking, that's all right. Just hold on to the elements because we're going to take them together in a minute. I'm going to pray with you over it. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you give us a fresh understanding and vision for what you're building into our lives and for what you're building into the lives around us. Supernaturally, give us an ability to see past dysfunction from other people or from ourselves. Help us to see past difficult and strange behaviors in ourselves and others, Lord. Father, we humbly come before you knowing that behavior modification is not what we can do and what we're after. We need a vision and perspective like you have. We want to partner with what you're doing in our lives. And I just pray for uh, those in this room and those of us that our past continues to just hijack our present and wants to sabotage our future. I just pray just for a healing for those that just struggle with their past. It doesn't tell the whole story. It's just one chapter of a life. So much more of that book still needs to be written. And there's so much more you want to breathe life into and change and transform to where it's almost unrecognizable to the rest of the world. Father, I just thank you. I just humbly thank you just for loving us with such depth. I just thank you for a restoration that just pursues each and every one of us. You didn't love Peter any more than us. We just thank you for that, Lord. Father, help us, strengthen us, and encourage us to love those around us the same way. The only thing that we owe in this world is to love others like you loved us. I pray we take that seriously, Father, that we would take risks in those areas, Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid Help those here that struggle with forgiveness, that continue to hold things against others, Lord. Help them to see they're putting themselves in a trap. And it's going to cost them some freedom. Father, I thank you for your good and perfect heart, Lord. Thank you for what you did in Peter. Thank you that it's the same plan for each and every one of us. And we're all going to look different. Show us how to stay in our lanes, how to be honest and humble about it, Father. I thank you for that friend of mine who who shared openly and honestly, Father. Bless his church, Lord, and what they're doing, Lord. 
secure his heart with who you are and your leading. Do that with us as well, Lord. We don't have to look like other people, talk like other people, have the same kind of education. Help us to be faithful where we are at. We just love you and we just praise you, Lord, just for the good work of destiny that you're doing in our lives. It says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body, and so we take and we eat. And God, I just pray for your word, Lord, that would make us like a rock, Father, that your promises and your word and your truth are Bibles, Lord, that they would truly anchor us and help us be solid. Life will go up and down. We'll be in all kinds of storms and seasons of life. The truth of the matter is, we will always be going through something. Always. I thank you that you never change, that you always equip. And continue to bring us to places where we just need to trust in you more deeply. We're not going to regret it. It says, then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for 